some who, who have been greatly used of God who couldn't do anything else but joke. I remember uh, uh, Lindsay Clegg, uh, the first time he ever spoke years ago, and two or three who are here today got saved at that time. Uh, he said, uh, he began off by saying, do you know uh, what the two bars of soap said to each other? Um, one said, give me your palm, Olive, and the other said, not on your life, boy. <laughs> it had nothing, it had nothing on earth to do with the message. And all the young people shrieked with laughter. And then he got on with preaching the word. Well, now, that was Lindsay Clegg, but don't ape it. W.P. Nicholson was another man who was full of jokes, especially about the Pope. Uh, <laughs> always full of jokes, and uh, everyone adored him because of his jokes. But the point was that someone in the end got hold of him and said to him, you know, you shouldn't, this is wrong, and so on. And uh, Because, you know, Johnny Cochran was saved to W.P. Nicholson's ministry. Uh, uh, and he gave it up, and for four weeks he had no power. And at the end of those four weeks of lifeless powerlessness, he said to the Lord, I'm going back to jokes. And he went back to jokes and people started getting saved again. Uh, I mean, that's W.P. Nicholson. But do be careful of just things like that for the sake of it. People often forget the teaching, but remember the illustration and therefore the teachings. Now we have, of course, wonderful illustration of this in Brother Nee. I think some of his illustrations, especially in Sit, Walk and Stand, rivet some of the lessons in that book into one's heart, and of course also a normal Christian life. But really good illustrations. There's nothing like them. And we need to be on the lookout uh, for good illustration. Now, some people are just unable um, to illustrate, and therefore, uh, it's uh, not much point saying too much there, but there are times when you're dealing with something where an illustration puts the whole thing into a nutshell, and as it were, the truth comes right inside uh, to the heart. The Lord Jesus, of course, was marvelous in illustration. All the way through, you find his marvelous illustrations drawn from nature, from uh, uh, creation, around and so on. And of course, there was Paul. He was always using the most amazing uh, um, pictures uh, to get over truth. Uh, wrestling, fighting, the athlete, running, all these things, you know. Uh, quite foreign, by the way, to the Jewish way of doing things, because they didn't believe in athletics. So it's quite remarkable, really. Um, remember about everything else that you are to preach the word. Make sure that you are expounding, explaining, interpreting God's word. Preach the word. Uh, and you are not just developing your ideas or man's theories. This is one of the great traps we can fall into. We get hold of a truth and we start to develop it. You see, then there's the second great danger, finding a scripture as a peg upon which to hang our ideas. You know, people get an idea and they say, now, what, what, where can I find a scripture for that? And uh, start to look around and they get a, a scripture which is really just an excuse. It's prostitution, of course, of the word of God. The real heart of the whole thing is to preach the word. Because in preaching the word, you're preaching Christ. 
or imparting Christ. Uh, and all these other technical matters are governed by their usefulness in making God's word clearer to other people. So if notes get in the way, out with them. If illustrations become something in themselves, out with it. Uh, all these things in question of technique, if you like, are simply to help us to make God's word uh, clearer. Help us in our presentation of it. Be careful um, of other things too. Uh, be careful of uh, not being concise. What about, we ought to say a few things about the conciseness of a message. Uh, clarity and simplicity are vital. Clarity and simplicity are vital. Now, don't think the deep things have got to be put in a complex way. This is what Christians have done for generations. They've taken deep things and made them as complex as they possibly can in phraseology and words to the extent that people cannot understand them at all. And then everyone thinks, oh, it was so deep. But really, deep things are utterly simple, profound, but really simple. And uh, I think we should seek to be clear and simple. Be careful of padding, using complex words you don't understand yourself. Very careful of that. I'll give you some screamingly funny illustrations, but I won't. Um, verboseness and so on. Just be careful of, of these kind of things. The, what is the amount of time? Now, quote, this is a difficult thing to do. But what is the amount of time to be given to the whole? Um, well, generally speaking, an evangelistic message ought not to be more than half an hour. Very much, again, depends on the preacher. For instance, a Billy Graham preaches nearly always 40 minutes. And I've never, ever felt bored by listening to Billy Graham. I've never found unsaved people bored by listening to Billy Graham. But um, uh, you can be very easily bored uh, by others who go on just that much too long. So I think that's an important point, especially in evangelism. Uh, if we're new to it, uh, uh, so on, well, the shorter the better, in one way. Not too short, but uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, it's better to be shorter than longer. Uh, when it's to God's people, well, of course, on Sunday morning, we really can't give more than half an hour. Uh, we start normally at quarter past, we try to end at quarter two. Uh, quarter past twelve, quarter to one. But uh, the fact of the matter is that, generally speaking, you can speak longer. If it's a Bible study, it can be a little longer than that. What should be the proportion that you give, really, in this? This is again terribly technical, but just as a guy. But they do love a laugh. And uh, the saints are quite poor, uh, to the fore in this matter. And so, uh, just remember this. Uh, on the question of tone, the, the one great thing about, uh, concerning tone in speech, introduction all do be careful of spending half an hour in your introduction and five minutes on the rest. Five minutes on the introduction and I think you need about five on the conclusion. You can sometimes be longer on your conclusion than your introduction. But all this ought to be then uh, the 20 between your headings there. That's only a very rough guide. You can't always go by that because sometimes God may give you something on this much more. The other two points may come out of that first one. But that is a very rough guide uh, for those who um, are wondering about it. Now, be, on the other hand, do be careful of, ab of abruptness, not enough explanation. 
using terms others are not quite sure of without any explanation. For instance, you can talk about body life, body life. And you say, of course, the great need is body life. And of course, a whole lot of people don't know what you're talking about. The other danger is that a lot of people start to think, oh, body life, body life. They don't know what they, they take on the phrase without understanding it. Now, explain, if you should ever use such a term, explain what you mean. It's always good to take it that all God's people are green. Uh, um, teaching is like that. Err on that side. Don't take for granted that everyone understands, because to your utter surprise you will find that those you sometimes think ought to understand very well don't understand when it comes to it. Um, reiteration, how much should you uh, reiterate, repeat yourself? English is a marvellous language. It's quite unique uh, in this sense that we can say the same thing four or five different ways and it not appear to be so. Now, that's why when you come to be, to be interpreted uh, uh, into, for instance, one of the Scandinavian languages or uh, German, uh, you suddenly find that um, uh, you have said one thing and you get interpreted and then you say it again and they look at you blankly. And then they sort of have to say the same thing more or less again. Then you say it again, and then they sort of look at you and sort of... <laughs> I, knew one, I knew one translator who got so used to the English style of preaching that he used to preach something else altogether different. <laughs> Get off the first point and say a few other things after that, you see, and keep the thing going sort of thing. Um, because it is so difficult. English is such a rich language. And in this sense, we are able to say one thing three, four different ways, and get it into people's hearts. Now, I think there's a right and wrong reiteration. Well, now, just, uh, I think, in uh, uh, coming to an end, there are some other particular matters we ought to uh, talk about. Um, one is speech. Speech. Um, now, obviously, God does not ask you to preach a message without some concern about the speech you use. What point is it if you stand up and mumble so that two-thirds of the congregation can't understand you? Uh, diction is very, very important indeed. Uh, the, the, the greatest need is clarity of diction. And if people say to you that they can't hear you, or if you find people always saying to you, what did you say? What did you say? You need help. And you ought to ask for help. In other words, from someone who can teach you some basic, uh, uh, the basic elements of elocution or something like that. Uh, you need help. Uh, it is really important to be clear in your diction, to use your lips, most, especially men, m the trouble with most of them is they do not use their lips. Some of them have got a stiff upper lip. That's where it comes from. We never use the upper lip. The result is that very often um, our diction is... Um, I, I remember once, so one person, I, I could never understand how anyone understood a single word that came out because they used neither the top nor the bottom lip. <laughs> got something out. But it is amazing um, if you don't use 
your lips. Now, diction is very important. And then uh, to next to this comes vocabulary. See that you use simple, clearly understood words. It was Spurgeon, of course, who changed the whole um, uh, uh, way of preaching in this country, thank the Lord, uh, from terribly Latinized type of preaching previous to him to Anglo-Saxon preaching. Uh, he used to go on and on and on about good Anglo-Saxon words. And therefore, he began to use simple, clear uh, vocabulary. Now, um, do remember this. Uh, one of our problems is that sometimes we have an inferiority, and we, want, we, we, we tend to feel that if we're going to preach, we must use big words. And this can often completely put the people who are listening into a fog. So try to use simple and clearly understood words. Uh, avoid any air of great learning. Uh, see that you understand the words you use. Uh, look them up in a dictionary if necessary, uh, if you're not quite sure. Um, be careful of mixed metaphors. Um, and other things, you can get some glorious um, mix-ups. Uh, uh, well, we won't go into them, but uh, uh, they can cause that everyone to scream with laughter. And the thing they remember about the message is the faux pas that was made and not the message. It's completely lost, much to everyone's delight. Now, this unfortunate is particularly when you're beginning. Um, people are not cruel, but they do love a laugh. <laughs> and uh, the saints are quite fore, uh, to the fore in this matter. And so uh, just remember this. Uh, on the question of tone, the, the one great thing about, uh, concerning tone in speech is a variation. Now, often people are not conscious that they are intoning or that they are monotonous. And there is nothing more terrible than a monotonous preaching. You get a, a sort of thing, gradually everyone's lulled to sleep. Uh, however great the message, you try to listen to it, but after 20 minutes, um, it really is too much. Now, very much, of course, again, is inhibition. Sometimes it's nerves. A person's nerves so take hold of them that instead of speaking normally, and when you speak normally, unless we are terribly inhibited, there is a natural variation of tone. And that's how we can listen to each other. It is our variation of tone uh, which makes it so much more easy. If a person's completely uh, monotonous, it's very difficult. Be natural. If there are defects uh, concerning your uh, intonation, uh, seek help. Uh, ask someone who is a good friend and who's not just going to grind you into the ground, ask them, uh, um, could you tell me if I'm monotonous and so on? Because, again, it's a thing that can be overcome uh, with help. Another point is speed, uh, quickness, slowness. There, again, you've got to have the same variation. 
Sometimes you speak quickly. I remember a preacher when I was a boy that was always called in the company I was in the headache preacher. This was because he had a most unfortunate way. He'd obviously been taught in college when he was young. I won't give you his name. He's quite well known. Well, he's gone to the Lord now. Um, he'd been taught when he was young uh, that you should at times lift your voice and at times drop it to a whisper. But unfortunately, he always shouted at the point which was not important and whispered the point that was important. And it was the most extraordinary sight for us youngsters. We used to love him coming um, because, first of all, all the older ones got a headache. And secondly, when we sat, we watched the whole congregation all straining forward to hear. As it came out, you know, he would sort of shout some quite you know, unimportant point. Whoa, he would say, you know, just when you are absolutely there. And then he would whisper something tremendous. Um, of course, again, Anglicans are not good preachers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we have to say this when we take all, all things real speaking. Of course, Presbyterians are, without any shadow of doubt, the finest orators uh, in the so-called Christendom. Uh, for some reason, whether it's Celtic blood or what, I don't know, but it, it's something to do with that. Um, uh, That's where you get the finest oratory. But Anglicanism has developed the most marvellous way of preaching, which is if you're speaking over the garden wall to a neighbour, and you speak about the death of Christ and the agony of Christ in a completely impassive conversational manner, uh, in fact, it was taught in Anglican colleges that you shouldn't uh, uh, be carried away or show any emotionalism of any kind. Well, now, the question uh, I think that we can say about speech altogether is to seek to be yourself always, although trained and corrected. We do need training here. We do need correction in all these matters of speech and vocabulary and tone. But um, uh, be yourself. <coughs> Now, what about behavior in preaching? Well, there are a number of things here. First of all, do look smart and do look clean. And if you have a beard, see that it looks trimmed. And uh, yeah, for those of us who've got beards, um, uh, uh, do turn out well. Remember, you are preaching. You're preaching the word of God. Now, when you're to tur be turned out well, seek as far as when we've not all got money. Uh, but we can all look clean and we can look tidy. After all, we're speaking for God. And that's the point I think we ought to uh, think. There's something offensive uh, about people who are bringing the word of God to us in a grubby, dirty, unkempt vessel. Well, nature itself tells us that we feel unhappy about it. That's the point. Now, how to stand and where to stand? Well, avoid eccentricity. Whatever you do, avoid eccentricity. Um, it will always distract from uh, the message. Um, I remember a preacher we had in the good old days at Duke Street who used to always preach <laughs> like this. And then every now and again he would come up and we'd go down again. <laughs> now we as kids always thought of him as those ducks that go back and forth <laughs> into water. Um, 
Uh, it was an eccentricity which, if only it could have been ironed out when he was younger, uh, would have m helped us to hear his message. <laughs> As it was, we always waited uh, for him to jump up and then to go back down again. Um, how to stand? Well, I think it's an important point. Generally speaking, stand in a way that is natural to you. That's all. And stand... Uh, Firmly and normally. Uh, where to stand? Well, obviously, normally. Um, uh, behind the table, uh, not here or in front of it, uh, and so on, but generally speaking, uh, uh, in the, the normal place. Otherwise, you draw attention sometimes, unless you are such a great teacher that, preacher that people completely forget you where you are, and that can happen. Otherwise, generally speaking, with the lesser run of mortals, um, people are so conscious of this eccentricity that they're continually thinking, what's he doing and why is he there and why does he stand like that? And they're not really listening to the message. One or two things to what never preach with your hands in your pocket. This was the great habit of certain folks to preach with at least one hand in your pocket and even worse, to jangle money or keys inside the pocket. Now, always uh, watch that because you nerves do this and you can jangle a key and then everyone's saying, listen to the key going up and down while he's preaching away or something. It's terrible. So be careful of that. Gesticulations and mannerism. Everyone has them, but seek to correct the excessive ones. Um, we had a preacher, I remember, who had excessively long arms and very big hands. And what he used to do was, he used to, when he was preaching, he used to go... <laughs> like this. You know, we all used to look at these enormous hands. I mean, they were like plates of meat. <laughs> and he wasn't he was such a big man, but when these hands went like this, it was the weirdest gesticulation and mannerism you've ever seen. And you couldn't listen to what he was preaching. You just couldn't listen to what he was preaching because you were, you were absolutely amazed <laughs> at these hands. Um, this brother had heard Spur that Spurgeon said that you should preach with your body. Now, as a man himself, he was a very dear brother, as a man himself, he was a quiet man. And he'd got this notion into his head that you should preach with your body, and so he'd been trying to do it, you see, and the result was something so weird um, that it, uh, uh, well, you know, uh, there are things to avoid, awkwardness in any form, uh, pouring out water, for instance, uh, you know, if you can, if you are the kind of person like myself who needs a sip of water uh, uh, before or after, pour it out before. You'll often find your nerves are so great, and by the way, this is a, a fact, that when you come to pour it, you shake yourself. You pour it all round the glass, much to the amazement of the whole congregation. Now, uh, the matter of nerves is, is, uh, is, is a point. Now, people think that you get over nerves. People often think, for instance, myself, uh, I have no nerves. But you always have nerves. If you are a nervous type of person, highly strung, you will use a, a very large amount of nervous energy when you're speaking. Now, when you're used to it, what happens is this. You become used to your nerves. And you don't realize, it's only when, for instance, you'll hold a piece of paper up that it can be seen that you're trembling. You will tremble to the end of your day. 
You will be used to it. And therefore it doesn't worry you and therefore you're more relaxed and so on. But you're still using nervous energy. Now, try and uh, cut out any awkwardness uh, like that. Uh, too tight a shirt. Uh, if, you're going, if you're going to preach a lot, Get a size collar, uh, uh, half a size larger than you need. Now, I'll tell you why. Have you all seen the kind of preacher who does like this? <laughs> no. I won't tell you who, but not in this company, but a way ago, we had a, a preacher who was always going... <laughs> and it was un most unfortunate because it came at times when he was speaking about the dead who cried. The redeeming work of God. You see? And that was so awful that you really, everywhere you, we, as well, we used to wonder what on earth was wrong with the man. Because he had a two tight collar. I mean, so. Just remember this, this kind of thing needs to be uh, watched uh, and anything else that's too tight as well. Um, then, of course, there's ostentation. Um, that's another point to uh, watch. People do get sort of a kind of ostentation. Now, again, we must watch these things. Don't worry, in a company like this, someone's bound to tell you. And if it really is an ostentation, you will hear about it before very long. We need to be careful of emotionalism or sentimentalism. When it's natural and spontaneous, it's marvellous. But when it is artificial, it is awful. Um, I can think of some things that I better not mention here, but I do remember my own famous occasion uh, when uh, at a Keswick in Richmond, when I was a boy, we had two speakers, and the second speaker uh, was a very, very well-known Anglican canon, um, and he preached and preached and preached much to our boredom. We couldn't get head or tail, and finally ended up with a story which was supposed to move us uh, to the nth degree. It was about this Chinese lady, this Dorcas, this woman of full of good works who was lying on this kang, Chinese bed, uh, 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 dying, you see. And what he did was he went all around the world and came back and said, and there she was, dying. And then he said, and then he went on and went on about her good works, and then he came, and there she was, dying. He did this four times at the end of a tremendously long second message. And we youngsters couldn't bear it anymore. And, of course, I did the unpardonable by finally saying out loud, Oh, Lord, let her die. <laughs> and, of course, Canon, I won't tell you his name, sort of a... <laughs> and he looked at the congregation, whether they, I've never to this day know whether he thought it was a voice from God. But the pastor knew exactly where the voice came from. I got into terrible trouble uh, afterwards. Uh, from him. I will say I was only 14. Um, but uh, the fact of the matter is, you see, that um, that kind of thing doesn't do anything. It just doesn't do anything. It just doesn't move anybody because it's so artificial uh, that it, it, instead of actually being the climax of a message, it's really the finish of a message. Uh, well, all right. Uh, there are other things, too. Um, uh, lots of little small things. Uh, there are mannerisms which you cannot cure.
Alan Redpath was always boxing things. When he preached, he used to say, and we must do it, and so on. He was always doing this, you see. Or another famous one of his was always to go like this. <laughs> All the way through the message, he went like this. It was the mannerism, and it didn't matter. It was his manner. You see, nerves will come out. I my, uh, uh, unbutton, uh, unbutton my, my jacket, um, not my, my shirt, but I always unbutton the jacket up and button it and unbutton it and button it and unbutton it and up when I wear one. Uh, uh, um, it, it, um, it, it is nerve. Uh, you see, your nerves have got to earth themselves. They've got to earth themselves, you know, it's like electricity, it's got to be earthed. As you've got to find some kind of outlet. And as long as your mannerisms are not too uh, uh, extreme or excessive, all is well. But you must watch uh, those uh, mannerisms. Uh, we had a preacher, uh, Duke Street, who's since gone to Canada, who always wore tails when he preached. He was our co-pastor. And what he did was, he used to swing them, first that way, and then that way, then that way, and then that way. And of course, I mean, we all used to watch this. We never listened to what he said. We used to watch this tales <laughs> that way, and then that way. Um, these are things, there are mannerisms which take people's minds off the message, and we have to watch them. But there are other mannerisms which uh, are not, uh, do be careful of scratching yourself. As another very unfortunate uh, habit that some people have where they <laughs> scratch themselves on their behind, or even worse, they go like this. Now, those are things we all have to help each other over. And when we see such a thing, it's best to just go and say, brother, do you know? <laughs> because it's better for us to say something than uh, for others outside to say. Where to look? Where to look? In the good old days, you were taught in Bible college to fix your eyes on a suitable point about 15 feet or so above the congregation. This was all part of the mystique of preaching, because you looked like an angel <laughs> as you preached. You always looked up high, and somehow or other that you got, you get those wonderful old statues, you know, of someone preaching, always looking up, you see, it's the upward look. Um, I don't think it's so good, really. Should you look up? Should you look beyond the congregation? Should you look down? Uh, where should you look? It was always considered very bad in uh, certain school of colleges to look at the congregation. Um, but personally, I think that really you should. There are, of course, some of us who are too uh, hawk-like of eye, and the congregation can seriously disturb us. When you see someone going... <laughs> or you see someone's going... <laughs> uh, every now and again, it sort of quite puts you off your message. Uh, now, the fact that they might always 
do that, even if the Apostle Paul came, is no comfort, really. Um, for you, you watch these people sort of dropping to sleep and then waking up and so on. Or you sometimes watch people who seem to have a thoroughly bored expression on their face and some a positively antagonistic look upon those, only to find that they're not the least bit antagonistic, have really received something from the Lord and been greatly blessed. So sometimes looking at the congregation can be a fearful business. Nevertheless, I think on the whole, it's better to look at the congregation than to fix your eye uh, beyond and sort of go on imperviously um, of them. Um, well, I don't know. There are many other things we can say. Of course, you know that uh, Lindsay Glegg once reminded us every time George Whitfield preached, he always looked at the congregation and at least two people got convicted because he, were, he had a squint <laughs> in his eye. And there were always two people who felt that that eye of his, they were brown eyes, were fixed on them. So always at least, he, they always said at least two people were always convicted after George Whitfield preached. Never mind. What again can we say? The key is to be uh, true to oneself in preaching, although there may well be things about oneself which will have to be corrected and trained. Well, now, I think perhaps we ought to leave that. I have been given a whole number of questions um, which are, in many ways, excellent. Uh, I've got here 27 <laughs> questions uh, on the matter of ministry and all I can think we'll do is to leave it now uh, and take it up uh, another time. What we could do is this. I wonder whether all of you will now cooperate. Um, would you please uh, take either Psalm 27 or Psalm uh, 23, the 23rd Psalm or the 27th Psalm and will you take from that one verse or two and give, be ready to give a short word on Friday. A short one. Now when we say a short word, just So we shall spend most of Friday um, actually uh, uh, preaching to one another um, and uh, we will then learn from our mistakes. Now don't be put off by that, don't be afraid. For, uh, take from either Psalm 27, Psalm 23, uh, uh, one or two verses and if you will come ready to preach if you are called upon, uh, to do so, uh, then we shall be able to. And don't, don't feel that you've got to get tremendous spiritual content uh, into your verse. The point that we want to get at now is to see if we can learn from our own experience some of these mistakes. That's all. Whether, you know, it's often this is the best way uh, we can learn these things. Now, shall we bow together in prayer and commit ourselves to the Lord? <coughs>